Hi, everyone. David here. Last night, the Georgia governor signed a bill that enacts election law changes and restricts voter access in the state. It's putting Georgia at the forefront of Republican-led states pushing voter restrictions across the country. It's also the focus of this episode, which was recorded before Governor Kemp signed the bill. So you're going to hear about some of the restrictions that will now be put into place and what this means for voters in Georgia and around the country. Thanks for listening. Now, myself, I'm 57 years old, so I'm born into Jim Crow, but I didn't necessarily experience it because by the time I was old enough to know what was going on, Jim Crow essentially ceased. But I can see what's going on that we're kind of stepping backwards in time. The one thing to keep in mind is that it's always a struggle. Over the years, we've had folks put forth the idea, well, we've reached this milestone or we've resolved this particular issue, okay? Nah, this is just another chapter in the fight. The next chapter in the fight for voting rights is happening today in Georgia and across the country. Hello, everyone. I'm CNN political director David Chalian. Welcome to Politically Sound. You just heard from Samuel Lindo. Samuel lives in Georgia, where the Republican legislature is scrambling to push through a slate of voting restrictions. And like thousands of Georgians, he volunteered in that state's history-making 2020 election. With the last election cycle, uh, the volunteer work that I did was to drive one of the voter vans that was taking people to and from the precincts during early voting time. But this service isn't just anyone who wants a ride to the polls. As Samuel explained, it was primarily people who couldn't go vote any other way. Mainly it was senior citizens that I noticed that were using the service. Uh, A lot of handicapped individuals who just weren't getting around very well, they used the service. There were some individuals who didn't have transportation, but a large majority of my riders that I had were mostly senior citizens. The restrictions being pushed in Georgia right now could have great impact on the voters that Samuel drove in the last election, something he says is not unfamiliar to them. When you're talking about senior citizens, these are individuals who come up, you know, largely through the Jim Crow era, so they understand what it is not to vote and being able to to exercise that franchise. So for them, it's a very important thing. And, you know, they look at it as, you know, it's an opportunity to kind of make your voice heard. Across the country, Republican-controlled legislatures are looking to make it more difficult for voters to have their voices heard. Spurred on by the lie-filled rhetoric of former President Trump and a series of election losses, Republicans say voters need action to restore their confidence in the process. But Democrats and voting rights activists say this is a power grab aimed at the people who handed Democrats victory in the state, voters of color. And during his first news conference this week, President Biden described these moves as sick and un-American. This is gigantic what they're trying to do. And it cannot be sustained. And do everything in my power, along with my friends in the House and the Senate, to keep that from becoming the law. Today, we're going to take a closer look at the voting rights fight, specifically in Georgia, what it means for voters across the country, and what national politicians should be doing about it. To do that, we're going to be joined by Andrea Young, the head of the ACLU in Georgia, as well as voting rights advocates on the ground in the Peach State. So... It's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound.
My name's Andrea Young. I'm the executive director of the ACLU of Georgia, and I have been the executive director of the ACLU for, this is my fifth legislative session, and I've had a long career in civil rights and civil liberties work. A long career is a bit of an understatement. Andrea was literally born into the civil rights fight. Her father, Andrew Young, was the former ambassador to the United Nations, mayor of Atlanta, and a civil rights icon. And I think you have to appreciate the beauty of this march and also the power of democracy, that change can come. She grew up watching him work and march for voting access along other giants like Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis. I think I did my first voter registration drive when I was still in, you know, elementary school. I actually was, March 21st, uh, was the day that the Selma to Montgomery march that finally succeeded uh, left Selma. I was part of that march as a little kid with my parents. Give us the ballot and we will no longer have to worry the federal government about our basic rights. As Dr. King said, give give us the ballot and then we can do, you know, the rest of the things. We can overcome the legacy of of racial discrimination if we are allowed to be full citizens. But in a democracy, a person without a vote is just, is a second-class citizen. Today, Andrea says she's continuing that voting rights fight championed by Dr. King by taking on these Republican-led voting restrictions. I find the existence of these bills troubling uh, because Georgia had an election where five million people participated. It was the greatest level of participation we'd had in our history. Uh, And the response from the General Assembly was a tsunami of bills to make it more difficult to vote. So for the last 15 years, people could vote absentee without submitting a photo ID. That has now changed. And both bills would require people to submit some form of photo ID as part of the application and then again as part of the actual ballot. And that has never been the case before in Georgia? That has never been the case before. 15 years, that has never been the case. 1.3 million people voted by mail, particularly because of the pandemic. So this now uh, affects quite a large number of Georgians, and we know that there are at least 200,000 registered voters that do not have a photo ID. So you say, well, why is that? Doesn't everybody have a government-issued photo ID? Well, a lot of our young people don't drive. A lot of our older people don't drive, don't have a reason for a photo ID, you know, and so it is very, has a real class impact that lower income citizens, which also means people of color, Black and Hispanic especially, are less likely to have the photo ID. And, you know, this has been something that's been argued over and over. So it has a disproportionate impact, you know, on restricting access to the ballot for for people of color and, and older Georgians. And what about early voting? I know so many people, especially in Georgia, took advantage of that in the last election, no? So there's been back and forth on early voting. We pushed back as ACLU and other partners really, really hard on limiting the early vote because the the argument was made by the former president that somehow absentee ballots were less secure. There's never been any evidence for that. But if on the one hand you're saying absentee ballots are less secure, and then on the other hand you come back and say, but we're going to also make it harder to vote in person, 
then again, you know, it's very clear that you're just trying to make it more difficult for people to vote. Early versions of the bill did restrict early voting, and particularly on weekends and Sundays. You might be wondering why Sundays in particular are so important. Well, it has to do with something called Souls to the Polls. Souls to the Polls is, you know, very much aligned and identified with the African-American community and African-American churches. Souls to the Polls is a term used to describe that get-out-the-vote effort where Black voters are given transportation from church to early voting locations. Remember Samuel, the volunteer driver? He told us a little about how important Souls to the Polls is. Within the Black community, anything that's of any importance is going to run through the church, okay? And where do you find massive amounts of Black folks on Sunday? In church, right? So there was a concerted effort. If you look at, you know, from, the, from 2018, after that election, the effort that, that went into place in terms of getting, you know, folks registered and making sure that individuals are actually going to vote. It's a massive effort, and it began, it ran, it ran directly through the church. And Andrea told me just how big an impact Souls to the Polls has on voting in the Black community. It provides, you know, a safe way, again, for our seniors to cast their ballots. They can go to church, go with people they trust, cast their ballots uh, on that Sunday. One of the weekend days, 44% of the people who voted that day were African-American. And tell me about how the legislation deals with these drop boxes and what that entails. As you know, there were problems with the post office during the pandemic, tremendous delays. Those delays continue. And so our counties and our Secretary of State allowed for drop boxes so that people could take their absentee ballots directly to a drop box. And so now these bills would make it more difficult to use drop boxes, make them all but pointless, because the whole point of a drop box is that for people who can't get to the polls during regular business hours, they can go to a drop box and deposit their mail-in ballot, uh, which is what I did. And... They're now saying you have to only be able to access a Dropbox while the polls are open, which again, you know, for people who are working, commuting, working moms, you know, again, it's just it just makes it very difficult for particularly people who punch a time clock to exercise their right to vote. When we come back, we'll hear about how the legislation could change who actually oversees Georgia's elections and what Democrats on the national level are doing to try to push back. That's next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Some of these proposals in Georgia actually take aim at how elections themselves are conducted by changing who has the power to oversee state elections. One of the bills would remove uh, the Secretary of State, the elected Secretary of State, who is a Republican, remove him as chair of the State Board of Elections and have that be an appointed position, which, you know, sort of, again, undermines the uh, legitimacy of that role and the, and the uh, objectivity of it. There's also provisions that would allow the legislative delegations in a county to challenge and replace members of their county's boards of election. I don't think Georgia's unique, where elected officials are trying to pick their voters rather than have the voters pick them. So you, it's really a power grab by the legislature. Uh, and it's, again, very dangerous uh, to democracy and any perception of fairness. It's worth restating. This proposal essentially takes the power over the elections in Georgia away from elected officials like the Secretary of State and puts it in the hands of officials appointed by the legislature. Altogether, one community organizer we spoke with, Cliff Albright, the co-founder of the Black Voters Matter Fund, summed it up pretty bluntly. What I would describe them is picture everything you know about Jim Crow and then picture Jim Crow for suit and tie and maybe a little bit of makeup and cologne on. That's what these voter suppression bills are. You know, it's not even something that takes us back to Jim Crow of the 50s and 60s. But this really has to, you have to go back to like post-Civil War. You have to go back to the Reconstruction period or post-Reconstruction period to see this type of attack on voting rights. They are attacking every phase of voting. And it does raise a lot of questions, especially given the history of the fight for voting rights in this country. How does legislation that makes it harder to vote, especially for people of color, square with laws like the Voting Rights Act? Well, the answer in part goes back to a 2013 Supreme Court decision called Shelby County versus Holder, which essentially eliminated the preclearance requirement from the law that made states, counties, and municipalities have to go and get permission from the Justice Department to make major voting changes. And a case currently before the Supreme Court right now could gut the Voting Rights Act even further. That's one of the reasons that Democrats on a national level have pushed their voting reform and ethics bill, the For the People Act. It would set national standards that would prevent many of the changes Georgia's trying to implement. The House passed the bill earlier this month, and this week, the Senate held its first hearing, a pretty contentious one, on the proposal. Instead of doing what you should be doing when you lose an election in a democracy, attempting to win over those voters in the next election... Republicans instead are trying to disenfranchise those voters. Shame on them. This is clearly an effort by one party to rewrite the rules of our political system. Now we're in a 50-50 Senate and a narrowly majority in the House, and this audacious move wants to turn the judge of our democratic process into a partisan prosecutor? Talk about shame. The legislation's future in the Senate is murky at best. And a key part to getting this bill passed is the filibuster. 
the filibuster is a Senate rule requiring 60 votes to pass most legislation, and it has a long history of being used to block civil rights legislation. Most famously, Southern Democrats blocked the Civil Rights Act in the 1960s in the longest filibuster in American history before the legislation eventually passed in 1964. Congress passes the most sweeping civil rights bill ever to be written into the law. And thus so I asked Andrea what she wanted to see from Democrats on a national level and whether she thought the administration was doing enough. I would like to see more. Many of your listeners may have heard that our Senator Raphael Warnock delivered his maiden speech on the floor of the Senate addressing the historical and current voting rights for Georgia. Some politicians did not approve of the choice made by the majority of voters in a hard-fought election in which each side got the chance to make its case to the voters. And rather than adjusting their agenda, rather than changing their message, They're busy trying to change the rules. Of course, he's pastor of a church uh, that um, was the sort of intellectual hub of the voting rights law um, that we uh, have had on the books. And it's very important. I think that um, for ACLU, voting rights is our number one priority because from that flows all other rights and the ability to protect, you know, LGBT rights, you know, the rights of recent immigrants, Uh, the rights of women. And so, you know, from that right, you know, and and we are in a democracy where the majority is supposed to decide on policy. Now, President Biden has said in the past that he supports maintaining the filibuster. But this week, at his first press conference as president, he agreed that it is a relic of the Jim Crow South and hinted he may be open to excluding voting legislation from filibuster rules. Certain things that are just elemental to the functioning of our democracy— like the right to vote, like the basic right to vote. We've amended the filibuster in the past. But in a call earlier in the week, when Senator Warnock asked President Biden about abolishing the filibuster, President Biden reportedly told him that Democrats simply don't have the votes. So I asked Andrea what she thought about his response. Well, I think, you know, I think I make of the response sort of the the pragmatism. It is one of the tragedies, perhaps, of our politics that these bills that used to be bipartisan, uh, I mean, the Voter right, Voting Rights Act was reauthorized with, I think, 97 votes in the Senate, um, that now uh, democracy is seen as something, you know, polarized and something that is only, you know, apparently only one party is actually for the expansion of voting rights. That's an unfortunate thing in our politics. The Republican proponents of these voting restrictions, however, don't see it that way. Georgia State Representative Barry Fleming, one of the bill's sponsors in the Georgia House, says it's needed to restore voters' confidence in the election system and to adjust the system for the changes to voting habits caused by the pandemic. Our absentee ballots in the state of Georgia had never been above 5% in the history of our state. And we saw on some occasions 30 or 40 percent of our voters were voting by absentee. We have something called a signature verification where you sign and they look at your signature to make sure you are basically who you say you are. That was never designed to deal with a million plus ballots. And the system was overwhelmed. So part of our legislation is to move away from a signature verification to something that is much more objective. Now, we reached out to Representative Fleming for an interview for this episode and never heard back. 
But that argument ignores the fact that former President Trump and his allies were the ones sowing the distrust in the system. And as far as Georgia goes, Andrea says the evidence just doesn't justify these proposals. There are quite a lot of checks and balances in the voting process in Georgia. Uh, The votes that were cast in November were hand-counted. Five million votes were subject to a hand-count. There was a machine recount. Uh, this was certified by the Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. He has he certainly supported and you know supported the former president and said you know and said this is the result. Um, and again, right up until the vote happened, that none of these issues were being raised about there being a lack of confidence. There was no lack of confidence until the vote was revealed. So we all knew what the process was. You know, and as I said, absentee ballots have been cast this way in Georgia for 15 years without this kind of concern about confidence. And while this fight is far from over, Samuel says that while he's hopeful, the voters he drives to the polls are worried about what these restrictions could mean for their vote in future elections. You know, there's always some effort to kind of mitigate black and brown votes. So in the general course of speaking, some voters, you know, they're they're, kind of worried about that. You know, will I be able to do the same thing that I did this election cycle with the next election cycle? That's the very question on the minds of so many voters in Georgia and across the country. Meanwhile, the fight continues to see if more access to the vote, not less, will win out at the end of the day. Our thanks to Cliff Albright, Samuel Lindo, and Andrea Young. That's it for this week's Politically Sound. Thanks so much for listening. Also, we want to hear from you. What do you like about the show? What do you want us to dig into next? Go to CNN.com slash sound to answer a few quick questions for us. It really will help us out. That's CNN.com slash sound. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is our senior producer, and Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see you next week. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.